Hello, hello, everybody, and happy Friday to you. Hold on, I need to pull up my notes because I lost them while I was sharing things. Hello, Lisa. Oh my gosh, I miss you so much. Um, guys, thanks for being on here. Thanks for being on here. You're so faithful. Um, I we've been in a, a series talking about restoration, talking about restoration of family, talking about restoration of the church, and and now we're moving into restoration of all things, whatever the heck that means. And um, I, I the more I sit in it, the more I'm like, oh my gosh, we really should have. And and I actually had a conversation with Lisa the other day, and and she's like, um, I, I think perhaps we should have dedicated like an entire month to <laughs> restoration of family because it's like. It's detailed, right? But here's what I want to say is that this isn't stopping with the end of this series. Like this, this restoration of family is an ongoing process that we'll probably continue to point to as the year goes on. And um, because it's important, it's it's an important detail that that God is after. And, and we really, we need him in this. This is something that we really need his help in. I think that if, if we're really like, expecting a greater outpouring of God's glory, we have to have restored people to be able to carry that. Here's the deal. When when we are walking in any kind of way and the glory hits, people die physically. We aren't talking about a spiritual death anymore. People die physically. Um, we were talking the other day in our Kingdom Indivisible group about a spiritual poverty, spiritual death. That is, that's that's a thing that that needs. To, it's an ongoing process where we are continually dying to self. We should not be picking ourselves up off the altar. We are living sacrifices, right? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about like people legitimately dying because the glory is that powerful. And, and when, and I think that this is perhaps where we get the idea that God can't look on sinners. You know, I I think that that's where the stems from is where we, we have bought into this idea that, that God won't um, come near sinners. He won't, you know, um, anyway, it is not, I don't have to belabor that. Um, You understand what I'm saying. That's not true. God very much um, loves humanity regardless of our condition. And of course he wants us in, in, in a form that represents who he is because he knows that's what's best for us. He's a good father, right? Like that's, that's what we really need to, um, to stand on is the fact that God is a good father, but here is the deal. And I think that this is where it all comes from is that, glory, an outpouring of glory really does, it, it, it kills people. It, it, it kills, it kills the flesh to the point of physical death. And, and we see it all throughout scripture. You know, Moses comes down from his mountaintop experience with his friend, the father, right? Like he, he says, Moses, okay, here's the deal. Like, I know, like, you want, like, this deeper intimacy with me, but I need you to hide yourself in the cleft of the rock, right? Like, you're going to have to cover yourself a little bit because God knows full well what his presence, his glory is capable of doing. And so even though Moses was hidden from God's presence, he felt the full effect of his presence as 
if he were encountering him as a friend. And I think that that is just an absolute beautiful story. And, um, but what, what I really want us to pull from it is that after that encounter, he comes down from that experience and the rest of Israel is like, good God, man, cover your face. (laughs) And it's so interesting to me that, you know, Moses had no idea. He, he had just been with God. And so he's very unaware of himself, right? He, he's carrying that, that, that glowing presence of God on his being. And it's so powerful that it is destroying the rest of the Israelites, right? Like they're like, and I, I, I kind of wonder if this also is one of the reasons why they were like, I can't handle this, you know, like take me back to Egypt where, you know, at least I know what the beating is about, you know, it, but with the glory of God, it's, it's so profound that they can't even look on a man who's been with God. And I just, I don't know. Sometimes there just aren't appropriate words to describe moments like that. All I know is I, I can feel how, it, how it possibly like an inkling of what, what that had to have felt like for the rest of Israel to be like, we aren't worthy. We aren't worthy to be in this, this shining, radiant glory. And so they did. They asked him to veil himself. And Moses did. He veiled himself because obviously the goal wasn't to kill Israel. And um, but but anyway, so that that's that's where I think that that stems from is is that the, the God's glory presence in that capacity. It really does kill people. Uh, we know full well that um, in the New Testament, people died. Um, Ananias and Sapphira, they they lie to the Holy Spirit. It's a, a story that I cannot wrap my mind around because we see people doing far worse things, let's just say. I mean, by my understanding, um, throughout the Bible, and they don't just drop dead. The only thing I can point to is that they pulled themselves outside of the glory that was on the community and, and then tried to re-enter into that. They pulled themselves out with, you know, iniquitous behavior and, and then tried to enter back into that with honestly, probably a bribe. And, um, so their, their heart intent was, was askewed and, um, and they dropped dead, right? Like the, the glory of God is powerful. And we know that, that what happened beyond that moment was the, the people were so, shaken by this and and the increase of the fear of the lord hit them all over again and i don't know worth it <laughs> I, I don't know but, but but my point is is that we need the restoration of god to touch us we can't just continue to live life in any in any way and um, this isn't this isn't me heaping condemnation. That's not it at all. I I want I want more for us. I I want you to be a vessel that is able to carry and dispense the level of glory that God is wanting to pour out. So we need to be doing like um, some evaluations with Holy Spirit and just asking, what in my life can't stand under your glory presence, right? I mean, I think that that's an honest question. What in my life can't stand in your glory presence? What what will kill me, God? Like, I, I want to be close to you. And, and I think that this, we don't, we don't have the full story of, of Moses's relationship with God, but 
man, he was all about his presence. Rate me, Jesus. Come on. I love that. <laughs> Gosh, that's so fun. Okay. But what I want to talk about is, is kingdom building because we're last week we talked about um, restoration of church and, and I, I'm not going to pretend to have the answers on that. I don't know what that's going to look like. I can imagine what I want that to look like. Right. And, and I think it, to a degree that God, God puts that, that desire in us, right. We can't even desire on our own. He, we have to rely on him to, to put that desire in us. And um, it, something that, that God had shared with me um, uh, late last week, was um what was really about his plan as we move forward um it, as, as kingdom builders right um the, the bible touches on kingdom building a little bit not in in not so blatantly by saying kingdom builders but you know we know that it's the the apostolic anointing that 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 presents kingdom building opportunities right and and that oh gosh hi Anne Marie and Chris Hi, friends. Um, so this is what God was showing me. And this was really in a picture. So for me, now this is for Angie. Um, the way that, that God typically gets my attention is through vision. He gives me visions and then on and then he kind of narrates through the whole thing. And then I attempt to capture it in writing. Oh my gosh, my mom is on here. Hi, mom. Um so I'm just going to read this to you because I did, I wrote it down and I wrote it down exactly how it felt to, to be, you know, sh- you know, I feel like it's a spiritual, Holy Spirit is like a spiritual tour guide sometimes. And this is what it felt like. Um, I'm taking you from informational centers to centers of action. I see fires burning bright, but low and contained in old metal barrels, you know, like those old oil barrels. And these particular barrels were kind of rusty on the outside. Um, The worn, rugged hands of prophets hovered and warmed by this self-kept flame. The informational stream of intimacy between the father and his friends fed and fueled a longed-for heat. Visitors' occasion brought close to cover in coats of promise, sent away with a dancing flame that will ache to grow in a few short weeks, if not days. You've created hubs of intimate knowledge, information that strikes but doesn't grow. You've walked in humble solitude, content but knowing there's more. I'm breathing action into your flames, a fire that will grow beyond measure. Recognize and discern the DNA of my exhaled winds, the disruptive breath of life the breaking breath of life, the dismantling breath of life. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Everybody's saying hi to my mom while Anne Marie is saying hi to my mom. I love that. Okay. I'm going to read that again because I think that there's parts in that, that, um, I just, I just want you to, to, to hear a second time because there's no way you took it all in. I'm taking you from informational centers to centers of action. Now, what, what he was describing to me here is that we have been in a, a, a deep prophetic movement. Those of us that have been part of, um, you know, prophetic community and, um, and, and it has really been about information. Um, we've really, um, highlighted identity information about identity. And, and the problem with that is, is that identity is, is fantastic until you're not doing anything about it, right? Like you're, you're, 
activity should line up with your identity. And if we're just content to hear about ourselves all day long, we end up with just big heads, small bodies, right? And if you can't, if you can't carry the knowledge, you know, in the puffed up state of your being and into action, then then we're really just informational centers. And so that's really what God was showing me. And and we are moving into be becoming centers of action. I see fires burning bright but low and contained in old metal barrels. The worn, rugged hands of prophets hovered and warmed by this self-kept flame. The informational stream of intimacy between the father and his friends fed and fueled a longed-for heat. Visitors' occasion brought close to cover in coats of promise, sent away with a dancing flame that will ache to grow in a few short weeks, if not days. You've created hubs of intimate knowledge, information that strikes but doesn't grow. You've walked in humble solitude, content but knowing there's more. I'm breathing action into your flames, a fire that will grow beyond measure. Recognize and discern the DNA of my exhaled winds, the disruptive breath of life, the breaking breath of life, and the dismantling breath of life. And I I'll break this down for you. I'll say I'll say what it doesn't say. This is this is the, the apostolic that he's talking about where you know we we've been we've been pretty strong in, in the prophetic in our communities but it's time for God to breathe this I love this the disruptive breath of life, the breaking breath of life and the dismantling breath of life. We desperately need the apostolic to to come and and create energy and life and action where there has just been information. And when I, you know, when God shared this with me, I was kind of like, ouch. And um, because I am a person of action and, and just, I think, presume that, that others would be too. And, um, and, and so I was kind of like, ah, God, you know, like, why, why, why hasn't it worked? Why? And, and the thing is, it's like, he, he set up church. He is the ultimate kingdom builder. Can we say that? And he, his dream for the church was that there be a company of people with different graces on their life. And we are talking about the fivefold here. And so one grace can't carry an entire kingdom. We need everybody in operation at the same time. So I know that part of the restoration of the church is going to be by way of apostles activated to a new level. I am not even pretending to say that we don't have apostles. We do, but he's going to activate apostles to a, a higher level than, than we've ever seen before. I believe that. And, um, and, and it's going to be, you know, just what did it, what did it say? Let me read it again. It's going to be a breath of life, a disruptive breath of life, breaking. So disruptive breaking and dismantling. Anybody need some of that in their life? And here's the deal is like, there, there's going to be life poured in on the backside of that. God, God needs to, to bring that disruptive measure, the breaking measure and the dismantling so that there's space for the outpouring of his glory. I mean, can I get an amen? Please. I'm excited about this. Okay. I want to read. We're going to start in Mark 4, uh, verse 26. I just want to read a little bit about, um, about how Jesus lays out that the kingdom works, right? And it says, Jesus also told them this parable. God's kingdom realm is like someone spreading seed on the ground. 
He goes to bed and gets up day after day, and the seed sprouts and grows tall, though he knows not how. All by itself, it sprouts, and the soil produces a crop, first the green stem, then the head on the stalk, and then the fully developed grain in the head. Then when the grain is ripe, he immediately puts the sickle to the grain because harvest time has come. And I love that because it's like the same, the same way that Hebrews 11 lays out, you know, the, the activity of faith is, is working with the unseen realm. And so he's saying, you know, like the, the kingdom realm, it's like seed, right? There's seed within this kingdom realm, within this invisible realm. And, and day after day, you know, we can capture growth in it. And, and, and we have to know how, what, what is our job in this? Like, how do we partner with this kingdom activity? And, and, and I think that in the season, it's through restoration, it's allowing God to come in and strip away the things that actually aren't serving us. They might be familiar for us, but they're no longer serving us. And so really we need to be able to say like, okay, God, this thing actually has no life. It's impotent. Just remove it, remove it from my life. Uh, It's going to be uncomfortable because it's what's familiar to me. And we can admit that. I love things that are familiar because I can do them without thinking. Right. And I think that that's what we get into is like, um, but this is easy, God. And and we weren't made for the easy. We will get bored in the easy. And, and so God is wanting to challenge us by growing us and 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 altering the the way that we've always done things. And so let's jump over to to Matthew 28. Let's let's read through the Great Commission. This is so fun. I I love the Great Commission. Um, I know I said we're going to start in verse eighteen, Vince, but we're going to start in verse sixteen. Uh, so Matthew twenty eight sixteen, the Great Commission. Meanwhile, the eleven disciples heard the wonderful news from the women and left for Galilee <clears throat> to the mountain where Jesus had arranged to meet them. The moment they saw him. They worshiped him, but some still had lingering doubts. That line is so perplexing to me. They've seen him. And the moment that they saw some of them, the moment that they saw him, they worshiped him. But some, they still had lingering doubts. This is crazy, right? What camp are you in, right? Are you one who can recognize when when he draws near? And, and you're interruptible and you can just break out into worship? Or are you someone who still has lingering doubts, right? This is a, this is a valid question. All right, verse 18. Then Jesus came close to them and said, All the authority of the universe has been given to me. Now go in my authority and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you, never forgetting that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. I think that this this is this is what it looks like to build the kingdom, right? When we're looking at 
what what does what does it look like to build the kingdom? How how will we recognize kingdom builders? I think that these are these are the ingredients, right? Go in his authority. What did he say? All authority of the universe has been laid on him. Right? That's that's impressive. All the authority in heaven and on earth has been laid upon Christ. He carries it on his shoulders. The government we know full well is on the shoulders of Jesus. And he's saying, go in that level of authority. We simply just don't know who we are, right? And and we haven't taken the time to be impressed with the authority that, that Jesus carries, right? Can we do that? Can we start there? Let's be impressed with the amount of authority that Jesus can carry. And then we might actually be able to go in that same authority. And and honestly, you know, if you, if you get close to Jesus in any single moment, when you're spending time with Jesus, you're amped up. Like you come out of that thing feeling bulletproof. Anybody, anybody, anybody like that's totally me. I come out, like come at me. Right. And, um, go in that authority right? Let's go in that authority. We need to get under the government that is on his shoulders. How do we do that? Praise, right? We do that by praise because we know that he is enthroned on the praises of his people. I I love it. I love, I love the idea of, of, praise. I don't know about you, but when I think of praise, I think of something that's just kind of like hanging out in the space above my head and he's enthroned right there. So I'm brought under that authority, that, that all encompassing authority that is, that is his. Right. And so I can go in that authority. And I'm not saying that I do this well, I'm just, I, this is just me talking about it, right? Like in the mirror. Let's do these things together. Let's go in that authority together. Um, and then um, to disciple the nations, you guys, we, we, we haven't even quite figured out how we're to disciple one to another. And, and he's not even talking about that. He's saying, go and disciple the nations. And you know why? This is why I think that is. Because that authority, if we go in that authority, it doesn't really matter what we say or do. Wherever we go, we are discipling the nations. If we go in his authority, what we have done is diminished his authority down to a coffee shop talk. I know. It's true, though. That's what we've done with this authority. We're like, I'm going to go in your authority. I'm going to go buy my student a cup of coffee and we're going to talk. It's not cutting it, you know? We're not actually making disciples who are capable of going in his authority. We've got it. We've got to just take this a little bit more seriously. I know, Anne-Marie. Um, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I love that. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is just beautiful. Um, and teach them to faithfully follow. So how do we how do we instruct others to faithfully follow. What does that even look like, right? Like this is Jesus we're talking about and he's already made it clear. You're to go in my authority. 
So if we're going to teach people to faithfully follow, we have to have a better understanding of what it, what it means to carry that level of authority or to get under that level of authority and to go, right? We're talking about action, right? He's moving us from centers of information to centers of action. We're moving from an informational age into a, an actionable age of, of actually moving the kingdom forward, spreading the kingdom wide. Yes, that's what that's what he's after here. And, and so if we're going to teach people to faithfully follow Christ, we have to know what this authority feels like to walk in. Yes, this is, I, I just feel like th- this is so important. Like if we can't grasp this, we might as well just stop, right? Like if we're just going to play church, just stop, go get a job, you know, go clean out your garden. I don't care. Go clean out your garage. Stop playing church, right? I, I just, I feel like God is being so serious about that. We have to stop playing church. We have to stop leading into the familiar because it's not serving us anymore. It's impotent. There's no life on it. It can't produce anything. We need to know what it means to go in the authority of Christ. Okay. I say it. I have said all I'm going to say today. I'll leave you with this. On the backside of having to field all of the grumbles and complaints about, you know, the disciples, how, you know, whatever. We're hungry. There's not enough food, blah, blah, blah. Jesus tells them, seek first the kingdom and the righteousness within. And you won't go hungry, right? And all these things will be added So seek first, seek first the kingdom, you know, keep first things first, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. What does his righteousness look like? What does his his authority look like? This goes back to what does the father's house look like? Like if we don't even know what the father's house looks like, how are we ever going to duplicate that? How are we ever going to build correctly? So That's my challenge for you is to get with Jesus and ask him, how do I walk in your authority? Teach me, teach me your ways, right? So that we can, we can enter into that great commission that he released before he ascended into heaven. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful invitation. Yes. When we seek him with all our hearts, then we will find him. I love that. Okay. Love you guys. Have a blessed weekend and we'll talk soon.